Chapter Twenty Seven of Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Colonel Greatheart by H. C. Bailey. Chapter Twenty Seven. The Lieutenant General finds an honest man. Through the windy dark, Lucinda rode with Royston. Anne thought of a night when she was born in another man's arms. It was springtime again, and the wild thrill of it in the air, but Colonel Royston was not inspired. He had not the dreams of his friend, nor the longing to give Lucinda a new life. She sufficed to him what she was, and he put her by. His mind was devoted to the practical need of the instant, to the neat detour that brought them out of Oxford unseen, unsuspected, by the North Road, and round the fords at Godstow, and with them, to Cumnor, safe on the Abingdon Road. It was a perfect evasion. Then, with the methodical carefulness that distinguished him, he made up his story for Cromwell. Of the life beyond, of the woman's call, he had no care. It may be that his mind shrank from it, but Lucinda remembered the earlier time. It was a dark gray sky, broken in gulfs of blue that bore the stars. They gave light enough to make all things vague. Royston rode beside her like a creature of dream. The hedgerows stood vast and fantastic. The very road played tricks with her eyes, turned when it went straight, was rough when it was smooth. More than once, fancying she saw a brook or a quag, she reined up sharp. "'Zounds, what ails you?' cried Royston at last, startled from his plans. "'This road is mad, I think, or my eyes. Then, with a nervous laugh, we are mad, you know.' "'And we will ride on, by God,' said Royston. The west wind came across them, tingling and keen. On either side the trees were loud in a wild chorus, and changing color and shape for each moment. Feathery powdered catkins brushed across their faces, and now a light bough beaten down stung like a whip as they passed. All the night was full of ghostly fear and tumult and strife. When they came down the slope to the wide, dark river levels, the uncurbed wind smote stronger, whistling shrill about them and buffeting with mighty thrusts. She cowered before it and shrank into her hood and shivered. All along the way the pollard willows tossed in mad shapes like ghastly dwarfs a dance. Her mind was away in strange ill dreams. She felt herself caught in some grim mockery of life where nothing was real and nothing made glad. And still she was pierced with memories of that earlier time, of that wild night of joy when he had made her feel the very spirit of the world's force. She looked uneasily at Royston, but he had no care for her. He rode erect, staring right on, his mind knit upon his own plans. And the wind yelled at her, and the clouds banked thicker before it, and the stars went out. She was mightily weary and cold, before, out of a heavier mass of darkness, tiny lights mocked at them. In a moment after, came the challenge of the outposts at Abingdon. Who goes, who goes, halt, or I fire. 
Travelers to lie at Abingdon, quoth Colonel Royston. Whence come ye? From Oxford. Guard, turn out, guard. Royston turned to Lucinda with a sneering smile. They are naive here, no place for you, but Colonel Royston himself never understood the Puritan simplicity. If he had, he had made another end. A sergeant came with his lantern and held it aloft to scan them. Ye are out of Oxford? Aye. Why seek ye this godly army? Sir, for edification. The Lord advance it. But wherefore, in the company of a woman? Regard me as her redeemer. In fine, sir, I have been her salvation. She hath put me in the godly mind to seek you out. I like you not, young man. Nevertheless, you may be even as Lot, which fled out of Sodom. Pursue not his evil example. And in any case, you will go before the lieutenant general. It is my earnest desire, said Royston, having first found a lodging for the lady, who is all aweary. He preferred to deal with Cromwell alone. The lieutenant general desires no woman, quoth the sergeant with scorn. March. Happy man, quoth Royston. As he walked his horse forward, the sergeant took the bridle, and so, with a pikeman on either hand, and Lucinda following meekly, they came to Abingdon. The narrow street was all peaceful. There was no sign of soldiery, no rabble, no loungers. Only through the lighted windows they could see the gathering of companies, and they heard chanting and the elect whine of Puritan prayer. "'And what of lodging?' quoth Royston. "'I suppose all your inns are full to the door of godliness.' "'No man of this army lies in a tavern who can find him another bed,' said the sergeant severely. Royston whistled. But he had met fanatics before, and he knew their strength. The sergeant was no boaster. It proved easy to find Lucinda lodging at the Green Man Inn. Royston was led onto the house called the Abbey by the river. It was a room of bare brick walls set with timber and high, dim, timbered roof. The candles flickered and guttered in the crossing drafts. Colonel Royston stopped short and saluted. He was not used to admire other men, but this is the first king I have seen in England, said he to himself. It was no beauty, at least, a big, loose man that spread over his chair. The wisp of linen at the collar of his buff coat was crumpled and stained with blood. His face was coarse, fleshy, and red. The hard angles of the bones stood out, and in the midst a mighty ridge, a stockade of a nose. There was something that might have been desire for mustaches, or lack of a razor. His underlip was cracked and raw. His hair hung in a lank mass of pale brown. But there was height in the ample brow and the seeming furrows of endurance and thought. But his eyes had the true light of steel and a ruthless strength. The lieutenant general surveyed Colonel Royston, who liked it well enough. He never doubted his own powers. Who art thou, friend? George Royston, sometime major in the service of Gustav Adolf and colonel with the Duke of Weimar. What make you here? Safety for a woman, work for myself. A man who had been riding at Cromwell's elbow looked up at the neat phrase. 
This was one with an air of some refinement, trim and precise. The Commissary General, Ironton. You come from Oxford, he said amiably. A plain tale can be brief, sir. I came to England on a quarrel with Monsieur de Turenne. I am bred to war and born for it, but little skilled in the matter of politic. I chose the king because the king's cause should be England's, he laughed. That fancy amuses me now, gentlemen. I have been in Oxford. Yes, I have been in Oxford. And seen the popish lasciviousness of the court and the rule of fools. I found swiftly that it was no place for a soldier who honored himself and feared God. I made my resolve to seek the honest cause, yours, sir. He saluted stiffly. I confessed I was hastened at the last by the persecution of an honorable lady. It was a maid brought to that Babylon by her mother, my Lady Weston. She, dying, left the girl friendless. She was thereafter pursued by the lordlings of that vile court most shamefully. Bah, I am hot at speaking of it. Well, she could get there no succor, no redress. Then, for I profess an honest affection for her, bade her come with me to a camp where men regard the honor of women, that which she hath done. I have lodged her here, and am here to serve you. I can do it. You say well, friend, quoth Cromwell. The commissary general, who was tapping his cheek with a quill, smiled pleasantly. And how would you seek to serve, said he? Sir, I have fought against papists fifteen years, and held many commands, whereof you shall have proof at your leisure. My skill is in chief with musket and pike, but for that time enough. There is more pressing matter. Sir, ere I left Oxford today, there came to me, by a braggart captain in liquor, tidings of that which touches your fortune. I take no shame to tell you. I have no faith to keep with that foul court. So then. They are in ill straits for arms and powder. Their whole hope in the war depends on a new great convoy. This comes from Bristol, and hath now been days upon the road. It journeys with little guard, but they will send out from Oxford a force to meet it. And, sir, it should come to Buford or Whitney by tomorrow. But if it fall to you, and not to them, you have gone far to end the war. The frown gathered on Cromwell's brow. He began with a score of sharp questions. How great was this convoy? With what force, at what speed could it move, and the like? To all, Royston had a quick answer, true or false. Cromwell looked on him with favor. Thou art a ready man, friend. The Lord needs such. Therefore, doubtless, he made me so, said Colonel Royston devoutly. Oh, sir, hold fast to that, Cromwell cried. Thou art made unto his glory, and miserably dost thou fail it. Yet be of good heart, and so run that thou mayest obtain. It is ever my design, sir, said Colonel Royston, quite sincerely. Cromwell thrust out his arms over his head. Oh, laggards, laggards! The Lord deliver me from laggards. Sir, there is naught to be feared but our own sin and sloth. Wherein, alas, we are all too well provided, said Royston. Cromwell's hands fell. 
His face was grave and sad. You say well, he muttered, and appeared to talk to himself. The commissary general had remained always amiable of air. And do I hear your promise the capture of this convoy, he asked. Spare a regiment of horse in the morning. Let me be its guide, and I'll answer for all. It is very handsome in you, the commissary murmured, and glanced from him to Cromwell. The gentleman desires to be trusted with a regiment, sir. The Lord, the Lord shall laugh at him, muttered Cromwell. What is it? A regiment, quotha? He bent his brows upon Royston. Well, and how wouldst thou go with it, friend? Colonel Royston was ready. A swift detour by Newbridge should bring them astride the western road on the farther side of Whitney. Then, putting out a picket to guard them from Oxford, they would send videttes out westward to make touch with the convoy, find it, capture it, and strike for Abingdon again. It likes me well, said Cromwell. Colonel Budd's horse, sir, quoth the commissary quickly. A very lovely company, sir. Put all on God. I will make my endeavor, sir, said Royston, and saluted, and was going. We will provide you a billet, sir, said the commissary again, in some haste. Colonel Royston saluted him, too, and was dismissed in the charge of a sergeant. There is a soul in an honest, thriving way, quoth Cromwell. I should have liked him better, said the commissary, if he had offered us nothing. End of chapter 27 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Real Medina, Texas